Hello and welcome to Switchbacks, a travel podcast where we reflect on our year visiting all 59 U.S. national parks. Whether you're planning to visit your very first park or you bleed gray and green, we're here to share our insights on exploring, understanding, and loving America's best idea. Thanks for tuning in. Today we're sharing an awesome interview Cole had with Darius of 59 and 59. A few months before we took off on our own trip around the country, Darius and his friend Trevor left on a very, very similar journey. Today we're chatting with Darius about highs and lows, what is missed most, and how he was able to make this trip happen. Hey guys, happy Wednesday! So Cole is at school right now. He is finishing up his very last day of his first semester of MBA school. So yay, Cole. Um, We are about to start our Christmas break, which we are so excited for. Um, We just got to get, I got to get through one more day of work and we got to get through a couple more things with the blog and then we are free to go. So it's very exciting. Um, Being back in the real world and actually having things like designated vacation time and not just trips all the time so we are excited to get going but today first we have a very special interview that Cole actually did last week when I was in Mexico so I wasn't here for it um and so he is he has interviewed Darius Neighbors of hashtag 59 and 59 and you guys will hear all about who he is and what his trip was like and some awesome things that happened, some nasty things that happened, (laughs) and I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. We actually met up with Darius and Trevor, um, who he, he, the, 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 um, friends who traveled together all, all year last year, and in American Samoa, that's where we met up with them. We just happened to be going at the same, the same week, so we, we had a really good time with them, and we also had a really good time, uh, interviewing Darius, or Cole had a really good time interviewing Darius, so I hope you guys enjoy it. Just wanted to let you know also, we will not be doing as many podcasts in the next couple of weeks. We're not really sure what our schedule is going to be like yet, but we know we'll be in Argentina. If you didn't know that, we're going to Argentina on January 2nd for two weeks. So we know we won't be able to record podcasts there because we're not going to bring our equipment, but we might be able to do a few, a couple of, um, pre-recorded podcasts for you guys so stay tuned for those and we'll try to get those out still every Tuesday but as you notice lately things are kind of slipping but we're going to get back on track in the new year so uh, thank you guys for listening so much and I hope you enjoy today's interview so Darius it is so good to actually talk to you again how have you been good doing well it's uh it's been quite some time since we were hanging out in American Samoa yeah, that seems forever ago. I, I yeah. miss those days. Yeah, it was, gosh, nine months ago at this point. Yeah, so how does it feel to be back in civilization after traveling to all 59 national parks, not just for a year like we did, but you did it over 59 weeks? Yeah, um, it feels very weird. I don't know if you got the same sense, but after sleeping in the tent and the hammock for so long, 
it's actually kind of uncomfortable to be inside. And so I'm not used to see like not seeing the stars and not hearing the animals at night makes it like kind of unpleasant. Um, and so I really miss that. And then just being surrounded by people constantly is very strange. So kind of, I don't know, reintegrating into society and getting used to all these things that everybody else sees as normal, I see as completely foreign. Yeah, I can't say I share the same sentiment about the bed. That was not too <laughs> hard to get used to. But if I really, if I think about it, if I think about you know where I was this time last year, if I think about going to bed with the most beautiful stars every night, or you know the sounds of the river next to you, then I get, then I get a little nostalgic. It's yeah, uh, yeah. Um, where were you guys this time last year? Let's see. It's December twelfth, so we were in uh, U.S. Virgin Islands, just leaving. Actually, oh, cool. yeah. Perfect weather, then I imagine. It was, and right now we're at um, uh, I think it's thirty degrees or something in St. Louis. <laughs> what are you at? Um, it's it was actually warm today, but it's been like thirties here in Virginia. Um, Although I think last year at this time I was in Petrified Forest, and it was like 25 degrees, and super cold. No kidding! I wouldn't expect. Yeah, that. I was surprised. Yeah. Well, I know our readers want to hear <laughs> readers, uh, listeners want yeah, to yeah. hear more about your story. So why don't you just give us the down low, maybe a little bit of your origin, how you came up with the whole idea. Um, yeah, what's it what's it like to be Darius Neighbors and part of Fifty Nine in Fifty Nine? Yeah, so um, um, I mean, I think you know, like you and I, like we've chatted before. We uh, I grew up in Colorado and went to national parks when I was a kid. Always wanted to go to all of them, and in two thousand ten, it had been like, oh, I'm going to do all of them, and delayed it a year, and delayed it a year, and delayed it a year, and then five years later, finally said, it's the hundredth anniversary. If I don't do it now not going to happen. And um, so I, Trevor and I were buddies from Intertube Water Polo at the University of Virginia. And so I Trevor bumped, is... And Trevor Kemp, who did the, did, the, did the trip with me as well. Yeah. Uh, uh, my, my traveling traveling companion. Um, so we bumped into each other in April of 2015. And it was like, oh, what are you up to? I was like, oh, I'm going to quit my job and go to all the national parks. What are you up to? And he's like, I'm just finishing up a postdoc and trying to figure out what's next. It's like, you want to go to all the national parks? He's like, yeah, let's do it. And then two <laughs> months later, we were, uh, you know, on the on the road in a Dodge 2500 truck, um, making our way across the country to different national parks. Um, so that's kind of the, the short version of it. But yeah, park kid growing up and. You know, spent grew up 45 minutes outside of Rocky Mountain National Park in Colorado, and kind of grew up doing those things when I was younger, and always wanted to do all of them. And wasn't your dad a ranger? Yeah, my dad was a summertime ranger in Olympic National Park. So um, he worked there a lot of the summers, and we'd go up and visit. And then, you know, spring break we would be in Arches. Uh, summertime we'd be in um, Glacier or Yellowstone. Christmas or Thanksgiving, we'd be in Big Bend. So we were just we were at the parks all the time, and that was where we vacationed. And what was Trevor's exposure? Did, did he have the same parks in his blood as he did? No, Trevor had only been to I think like two or three parks. Um, so really hadn't been to that many. I think he'd been to he'd been to like Shenandoah and maybe one other one. 
or maybe just Shenandoah. So I think I've been to 17, and he's been to one or two. Wow, that's a yeah. big leap of faith. Yeah, yeah, but they're beautiful places. So I think, you know, as you guys know, it's they're just wonderful. It's impossible to go wrong. Pick any out of the hat; doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, so did you have any specific goals for your trip or maybe criteria that you tried to stick to as you traveled around? Yeah, we, so the initial goal is to do like a week in each park. I think, you know, it's a little bit trickier to spend a week in a cave. Um, <laughs> some of the, some of the places like that, we didn't, we didn't give it a full week, but we still saw a really great portion of the park. So it was, it was basically to to do more than just kind of set foot in it. Um, it was also tricky in those Alaska ones where it's just so expensive to get up there. Um, so we couldn't do that like in Kobuk or Gates of the Arctic. But other than that, the main things we were trying for were kind of just silly things. So like go for a swim in each park or get in the water in each park, go for a hike, go for a run. Uh, I also tried to do the Junior Ranger program in every park. So that was another another big thing that I attempted. I love that you did, did the jumping in the water at each park. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. fun. Kind of forced you to just, well, in a lot of the parks when you're up in Alaska, it's super cold water. So we were in Wrangell, and there was like a little river flowing on a, gra on a glacier. So we jumped in that, and it was freezing cold. Um, so there was a couple times like that for, where it made for some entertainment. Um, and there's other times where there wasn't really great water, so you just kind of sat in a puddle. <laughs> that was that was that. Yeah, that's insane. Um, I was it uh, the the main glacier, Root Glacier at Rio yeah, Saint Elias. Glacier. Yeah, um, it's the one you can like hike out to a mile from uh, Kennecott Mine, and you just hop onto it, and there's just this little river flowing through it, and so you're standing on a glacier, and there's a river on the glacier, or, like, not river, but flowing water. Okay. Uh, so, luckily, it was sunny outside, so you warmed up pretty quickly, but it was, it was cold. <laughs> yeah, we did a glacier hike on that, you know, and filled up our water bottles, but that's as close as we got. That, can't imagine jumping in that. I'm, I don't think, uh, the, the rangers might not have advised that. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> advise it after doing it. <laughs> so it, I also am curious. I, I've always kind of wondered. You were saying you did this trip with a friend that you met at college, Trevor. Yeah. And unfortunately, he we couldn't get him on the you know interview. So you're speaking for the two of you. Yeah. And uh, I was so. It, you know, I did it with Elizabeth, my wife, which yeah. is a lot different dynamic than doing it with a friend. You know, yeah, yeah. when it's your spouse, you can't necessarily just run away or like in a couple years, you'll still be living with them. And, yeah, yeah. But so it would be, I don't know, I'm just curious to know what that dynamic was like because it'd be hard, even thinking my best friend, you know, if, if I wasn't tied to them through, you know, the ring on my finger at some point, yeah, um, yeah. going through everything we did, it would be, um, it'd be tough. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's funny you mentioned that because um, a lot of my friends joked with me, they're like, oh, like, got married for the year, right? And so the thing I always kind of joked was, it's like being married. I mean, I haven't been married, so I don't actually know. 
but it's like being married with all of the cost and none of the benefit. So like, you know, like you still have the same arguments, like you still have conflicts, but then, you know, on a cold night, you don't have somebody to snuggle with and you're still like, you know, at the end of the day, like if they're mad and you're mad and you go your separate directions, there's not like, uh, there's not like this, you know, deeper thing where you're like, okay, well we, we pledge to be with each other for life. And so we're going to do that. So yeah, it's just kind of funny in that sense. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, you get in bad weather or you're tired or you're hungry and you know, little things become big things and it gets difficult. So yeah. But then also, there's no better test of a relationship than any kind of relationship than traveling with somebody. So, yeah, that's you're gonna be cake from now on, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm kind of curious too how how did the the money part work? Because everybody always asks us, you know, how yeah, can yeah. you ever afford to do this? And we, you know, told everybody that's one of the things that we wanted to promote through our blog and everything that you know this is you don't have to inherit a fortune to do something like this it's t attainable for people so how did you work that out well and I'm, I'm actually glad you missed that mentioned that because one of the one of the things that I would see just like randomly posted on Facebook from people that we didn't know would be like oh I wish that I were a trust fund baby so that I could do that too and I was like well actually I was a public school teacher for two years and I've always worked in like education and haven't made a ton of money um, it's just a question of you know do you decide to save money when you're working and so you know I in my normal job I cook, cook a lot of dinner by myself and save money that way and don't try and spend a lot on things that I don't want I, I like to spend my money on my trips and my vacations and my adventures so I think changing your lifestyle is one step to doing that you know if you're going out for dinner or drinks three or four nights a week like that's where you're going to spend your money. Um, I think the other piece of it too is when, during the trip, it was a lot of peanut butter and jelly. It was a lot of ramen. It was a lot of spam. Um, and so it wasn't, it wasn't this like, Oh, we're going to stop and like grab breakfast at this nice place. Or we're going to stop and grab beers at this brewery. It was, you know, it was like a treat to go out to a brewery and get a beer or two. Um, it wasn't a common thing. Um, so there's that aspect of it too. And then, what we did for the funding of it is I had my money saved up from um, my couple years working, which wasn't a ton. I, I took on an extra job as a bartender um, my last year in Charlottesville. And so I was working two days a week. I was working like 16-hour days um, to save up money. And that, that was a big portion of it. And then we did some crowdfunding and raised like $10,000 from that. And then um, it was actually kind of... I, I don't know if you if you experienced this, but I had these moments where um, I felt like the universe was conspiring to like help, and so I um, I traded cars with my parents for the year, and they were gonna let me use the, their car, which is great, and they're super supportive of the parks. Um, but financially, I was also in a situation where I was like, I need I need to sell my car to have enough money to do this trip, and so right around the time, and my car was at my parents' house, and my parents were just going to sell my car for me and then send me the money for it. So right around the time that I was going to sell my car, um, a month prior, I uh, submitted a photo to an Instagram contest that was, it was um, 
bare naked granola and it was listed item on your bucket list and send a photo in. And so I saw bare naked granola and I was like, okay, and this is right before we were going to Catline. And so I was like, this is perfect. I'm going to take an empty bare naked granola thing. I'm going to stand on the platform at Brooks uh, Falls and I'm going to hold it in front of myself naked. So there'll be bears behind me and I'll be naked and it'll be bare naked. Um, and so I took that photo and then like submitted it to the contest and didn't hear anything for like a month or six weeks. And then right about the time that I was like, okay, I have to sell my car to, you know, I was going to sell my car for $10,000. I was like, I have to sell my car. I won this contest from Bare Naked for $10,000. And it was just total, like, I was like, the universe has like conspired to make this trip work. And um, the other thing financially we did is I actually did Alaska first because I was worried about the money. And I figured if I put the most expensive ticket item up first and made it through there, then we could easily live on peanut butter and jelly the rest of the time. Whereas if we got to the end of the trip and then we we're like, oh shit, we can't afford the plane flight to whatever park, then we'd be screwed. Um, and also just, I mean, I wouldn't, we wouldn't have made it if it weren't for family and friends through friends donating or when we'd stop in towns and they'd buy us meals. Um, I got some buddy passes from friends for airline stuff. And so it just, things like that made it a little bit cheaper and I think you'll you'll see that people just want to help, and even complete strangers we would meet. Um, I remember we were in um, uh, not Guadalupe Mountains. We were in the one north of it, Carlsbad Caverns. We were at Carlsbad Caverns, and we were camping next to this couple, and they had like a cooler full of food and drinks. And we ended up talking to them about our trip, and they were heading out, and they were like, "We have this cooler full of food and drinks. You guys want it? Like, we'll just we'll give you everything in the cooler." And so little things like that, you know. Not doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but that saved us fifty or sixty dollars and gave us, you know, food and drinks to eat. And it was all stuff that we wouldn't have bought for ourselves. So it was like super excited to get this, you know, like lunch meat and like things like that that we were just like, oh my god, this is amazing. So, you know, I think when you when you go out and do something you're passionate about, people want to help you and they see that. And um, I like to think that the universe conspires to to make that happen. So. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I love that whole message about the support system because it was crucial for us too. And just tons of stories about, uh, you know, how people out of the blue just gave us food, invited us for a night, you know, or just let us stay on their couch surfing, you know, yeah. account. Um, but this is your interview, so I, I won't go into well, all those. <laughs> but, I actually, so I was. I wanted to say one of the things I noticed that you guys did when I, I was following your blog at one point and you guys had done the airline miles thing to get yeah. the flights. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, that's so smart. I should have thought of that. So there's a couple of times I'd see stuff and I was like, that was a great idea. Um, yeah, and there's different ways to do it, you know, because we did the airline miles and kind of travel hacking uh, and you yeah. were able to use some buddy passes. So yeah. anything you can do to cut down those huge flight costs. Um, and then the crowdfunding, you know, that's something you guys did. And I really, you know, we kind of made a, a personal decision just to not go that route. But yeah, yeah. I think it can also work to really get people engaged with your trip. 
you know, yep. and get the just feel kind of that support um, with more than just you know likes on a Facebook post, and that can be really cool too. Um, yeah. So yeah, and then people just do love seeing you live a dream, and especially if it's a oh. dream that that they wish, uh, you know, that they aspire to too. Yeah, so. yeah. No, I think that's totally true. Um, people, if people see something that you're doing that they really want to do, they kind of really get involved personally with it and want to want to make sure that you can see it out as well for them. Yeah, and. Um, that's funny to hear you did Alaska first because we, yeah. we did it last and that was we knew that we were going to have this huge expense in Alaska so we were just uh, it was pretty stressful the whole time thinking we have a pretty good idea what everything's going to cost you know these tons of bush planes and different yep. you know ferries but it was a big big chunk of the budget and yeah um, that was another thing that I think we both really made the commitment to do, which was which was cool. Is we could have made the whole trip so much less expensive and thus easier on ourselves if we would have done maybe the lower forty-eight yeah, or something. Absolutely. But uh, and I think you know, talking with you guys, you've echoed this that that our mission was the fifty-nine. Yeah, and yeah, it's all of them. And yeah, we didn't want to leave any out. We wanted to be able to not just say that we've done them, but tell people with our message like that. That makes your message and your support of the park so much more powerful to say, yeah, we hit every every one of the oh. 59. Well, and I appreciate those ones so much more because like Glacier and Yellowstone are beautiful, but they're they're kind of like a theme park almost because there's so many people. And then when you get up to like Denali, Denali you get a little bit of the theme park feel, but if you get in the backcountry you lose it. And then Cobook and Gates, it's like, I mean, pristine, literally untouched wilderness. And that that for me was, it you couldn't really find that at any of the other parks. Um, and I thought that was really special. So. Yeah, Alaska was just on a whole nother level. Yeah. So yeah, if we would have missed that, I don't our our trip would just have been incomplete. Um, so I mentioned to you that I want to go into some of the moments of your trip because mm -hmm. I think that's really cool to to go into specific maybe stories or like this happened, that happened. So yeah. I want to go through a couple different you know superlative moments. Yeah, um, absolutely. So what? Start with maybe hopefully an easy one. What was the most thrilling moment of your trip? Most thrilling. Um, I mean, so I'm gonna have to go with uh, rafting the Grand Canyon, just because it was. There's so there's one rapid. Well, there's two rapids, um, and I'm I was in a ducky, which is basically like an inflatable kayak, um, and so it's not. It's not super secure, so you can fall out of it pretty easily. And so there's this one rapid called Horn Rapid, and then there's another rapid um, that I'm blanking on right now, but I'll think of it. But there's basically like 14-foot waves, and so there's these huge waves that you're going on, and you're in this, I was in this basically like inflatable kayak in these 14-foot waves, just 
you riding a roller coaster of water. Um, and so that was, I remember and there's, there's one where there's nine, nine waves in a row. So you go up, I went up over seven of them totally fine. And then the last two, the wave completely crashed on top of me and around my body. And so I was inside the water, the water had fallen on top of me and it was like the water was deciding if it was going to throw me over or let me go. And it just let me pop out on the other side and I kept going and didn't flip over and it was totally fine. Um, and so that was just, you know, we were down there for 20 days and that was probably just the most consistent, thrilling thing day after day um, throughout the whole trip. Oh man, when I saw those posts, you definitely put that on our life list. Oh yeah, it's just, and there's nobody, there's nobody down there, so you go on a hike, and the only access to that hike is from the inside of the canyon, so there's nobody down there, and it's beautiful night sky, and raging water, and it's just, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing, so... So how about the most life-changing moment? I, so it's, this is an interesting one that you asked because I think a lot, of, a lot of people look at what we did, um, and, I, and I include you guys in the we, and they look at what we did and they're like, oh, so like, this is like eat, pray, love, or this is like wild, and you must have had a horrible life beforehand, and you wanted to like leave your horrible life to make it better. Um, and I think one of the things I enjoyed talking with you guys so much about American Samoa was it wasn't this idea of I'm going to go do this trip because my life's awful. It's I'm going to go to these national parks because they're beautiful. Um, and so I think coming from that perspective, I didn't have this like life-changing epiphany, this like, oh my gosh, like my entire life is different. I think the only, the only thing that it helped me realize or um, think about was it reiterated things that I already knew. And so it basically made me realize, like, my family's really important, and time that I get to spend, quality time that I get to spend with them is valuable, and then additionally, quality time with friends. So the friends that I saw on the trip that I got to spend time with hiking and camping, you know, I, I got to see how strong those bonds were, and I think it just reiterated that that's, you know, if you want to keep close friendships with people, you need to go out and see them and spend time with them, and you can't just have lunch with them once a, once a month for an hour, because um, you'll spend 20 minutes talking about the traffic, and you'll spend 40 minutes talking about, you know, what happened that day, and you'll completely miss the deeper things in life, and so those are the things for me, is family and friends that were just reiterated throughout the trip, um, and so it wasn't, uh, I kind of say, it's not life-changing, it just reminds you about things that you already know. I totally agree. I think one of the biggest takeaways that we had from the trip is just that it was something we already knew that we want to focus on experiences rather than just accumulating things. And also, ironically, that there's one place that's home for us. And for us, that's St. Louis. And, you know, we've been to all these places. We love going to them. But at the end, it's always nice to come home too. So that was a little unexpected kind of yeah, life lesson. It's like super comfortable. Yep. So what? Let's see. What is your most despairing moment? Oh man, that's. It's sad to say that that's an easy one to think of. Um. And and I I I assume you guys would agree with this, but when there was bad weather, that was just you couldn't compete with 
freezing rain. Like, that was just the worst. Because you have nowhere to go, right? You're like, oh, I'm going to go sit in my car and wait for the freezing rain to stop. And my clothes are wet, and I'm cold, and I'm just sitting in my car, and it smells like wet clothes. Um, but the, the worst of those, we were in Katmai National Park, and we went for a backpack uh, to the Valley of 10,000 Smokes. And so, uh, I'm sure you know, but for the, for the listeners, the Valley of 10,000 Smokes, there is a volcanic eruption in 1912. It's the largest volcanic eruption um, of the century, and it was 30 times larger than Mount St. Helens and put down 700 feet of ash um, when Nova Rupta blew up. And so you can go out to this valley and hike on volcanic ash and go camping, which we decided to do. So we go out um, to Mount McGeek. There's these two lakes in front of Mount McGeek, and we set up our tents in front of one of them. And then we woke up the next morning, and we were going to go hike out to Nova Rupta, which is the site of the volcano that blew in 1912. Um, so I set up my, I had my tent set up, and it was, it was kind of nice outside. Um, it looked fine, and so I was like, oh, I'm gonna leave the rain fly off of my tent, and just let stuff air out, right? Um, which is like rookie mistake number one. Um, so we go to Nova, we go to hike to Nova Rupta, and within, I don't know, 45 minutes, the clouds start rolling in, and it starts drizzling, and we're. We're, we're basically two and a half miles away from our campsite now. We have like half a mile to get to Nova Rupta and it's two and a half miles back to our campsite. And the fog, the fog comes down so deeply that you can't, I mean, you can only see 25 yards in front of you. And there's no trail. You're just kind of like walking around on this volcanic ash. And so we're like, we can't make it to Nova Rupta. There's no way we're going to get there. We're going to get lost. We have to get back to our stuff because at this point it's 40 degrees and it's like light drizzle with a ton of fog. So uh, we, I get back and we're hiking on this little ridge and the ridge kind of overlooks the lake that's at, in front of Mount McGeek and then our, our tents are basically in front of this lake. So we get on top of this ridge and I look down and Trevor's tent, we, we each had bear bins for food. So bear bins are things you put your food in so that the bears can't get them. And they're... Um, uh, cylinders. They're closed cylinders. So uh, Trevor's tent, all of the stakes had pulled out from the wind blowing it around, and the bear bin in his tent was basically rolling back and forth across the ground, and it was maybe like six feet away from this glacial river. And so it would kind of like slowly roll towards the river, and then like the wind would push it the other way and it'd roll back. And it was, the tent wasn't quite, it just kind of needed, needed to like go over the lip of one end of the tent and then it would be like, get enough momentum to roll into the river. So I start sprinting down to the tents and, um, and my tent, mind you, is still staked in, but the rain fly isn't on it. So it is just pouring rain into it. So I get down there, I grab Trevor's tent, I move it away from the river. I get into my tent and it's as if somebody's taken my sleeping bag and jumped into a swimming pool with it because it is that wet. And so I like squeeze it out and it's just totally soaked. We pack up our bags like as quickly as we possibly can and then we start hiking out. Um, we we're gonna we we're gonna hike out the next morning. So we start hiking out um, and we have to cross these couple of rivers where it's 35 degree like glacial fed water and the rain's not letting up, and then finally we, we end up hiking, I think, six miles, and we get away from the storm, away from the rain and the fog and everything, 
and luckily it was summer so the um sun stayed up longer and i just had to set my bag out for probably three or four hours before it dried out but it was not fun and and, oh and then we went to make dinner we finished cooking dinner and started eating it and then we started making hot chocolate and then our stove ran out of fuel um and so it was just it was like one of those like oh my gosh this is this is awful. Um, so it could have it could have been a lot worse, and didn't end with hypothermia. But it was it was pretty it's pretty harrowing, not not enjoyable. Yeah, that's ridiculous. I we didn't have anything close to that uh, magnitude, uh, but I definitely relate to your feeling of being just totally at the will of the elements because we yeah. we were both in. Um, tense, you know. Some of the other people, the long-term travelers we met, most were in RVs and everything. And I yeah, think yeah. that's what why we really connected with you guys because you were were doing it just shoestring like us. <laughs> yeah. In absolutely. the tents every night, and <clears throat> that's that can wear you down. Oh yeah, when it's cold out night, cold at night, you feel it. You don't get to like cuddle into your airstream and like throw some extra blankets on. You just get, huddle in your sleeping bag and cross your fingers. Yeah, man. How about the most okay, most boring? Were you ever bored during the trip? Um, I wouldn't say that I was. I mean, I guess for me, bored is when. It was, for me, the worst was when I wanted to experience something and there was something like logistical that prevented me from doing it. And so there's two times, three times to me that that happened. So the first time we were in um, Voyagers National Park and they let you rent canoes um, from the park service. But they let you rent canoes, like you have to go across this lake to get to these point where you can rent the canoes. But if you don't have a canoe, then you can't cross the lake. And so I called the park service and I was like, hey, I'd love to rent one of these canoes. How do I get across the lake to get to the actual canoes? And they're like, oh, well, we can't help you with that. And I was like, well, then I can't rent the canoe to, like, go camp in the backcountry. And they're like, oh, well, you'll have to figure that out. And I was like, but I, but, like, that's, that's why I'm calling you to ask you to help me figure that out. So that happened. And then um, a similar thing happened in Biscayne Bay where they have camping out on this little island out there and they wouldn't provide me transportation and they didn't have a contract set up to provide transportation out to the island so you could go camp there. So there was nowhere to camp in Biscayne, which was just like a super bummer. And then uh, similarly out at uh, Dry Tortugas, the lady that, that I spoke with on the phone told me there weren't any camping spots left unless somebody canceled. And then I was in line in the morning to um, get onto the boat and this guy in front of me canceled. So I asked her if I could jump in on his spot, and she like refused to let me have his spot to camp out there. And so those are the moments where, I guess it was boring in the sense where I was like, I knew what the potential could be, and it was like, it was like I was being prevented from doing that. And so I was like, all right, I'll just sleep here where it's boring when I want to be out, you know, under these beautiful stars um, in the middle of the Keys, and I couldn't do that. So. I guess those were like the boringest times for me. So I don't know. Yeah. Do you guys have any uh, especially boring ones? I hear you with the Biscayne. 
Uh, yeah. Because they they actually got a concessionaire now. We just talked about that in our last podcast. Oh, good, good, good. Yeah, it's only thirty five bucks for a ride out to the Keys, and Not yeah, bad at all. they could have used that you know a year ago when we were there and we were trying everything we could think of, calling volunteers. You know, of course it was Thanksgiving. Nobody was taking any rides out to the yeah. Keys. But I agree that it, it looked so cool. You could go to the visitor center and see all the awesome videos, yep, but yep. you couldn't get out there. So yeah. that was definitely hard for me too. Any time where we knew that there was you know this next level of the park that we just couldn't access. Um, fortunately, like in, in Voyagers, we wanted to do the same thing where we got to that cached canoe in, yeah, yeah. in the back country. But we were able to, we have our inflatable kayak, so we oh, took that nice. across the, the lake. Otherwise, the, you know, nothing was running to take people out there the time yeah. we were there. So, yeah, it's the logistics is, you know, something you think you have planned out, but you have to, when you're doing something long term like this, you have to get down every single detail. Oh, yeah. When I saw one of, um, one of the other, there's another couple that's doing it, RV Adventures, and they um, they got they missed the thing for Isle Royal, the boat out for Isle Royal because they had car trouble, and you're just like, ah oh, no, like, you know, so it's little things like that that are out of your control can totally throw off everything, even if you have everything planned out like you should. Um, yeah, I feel so lucky that we didn't have any of those game breaker. Uh, moments, you know, yeah, yeah. huge car trouble delays or anything like that. Um, so going along with that, maybe what was your luckiest moment? Luckiest moment? Um, I mean, I think the Grand Canyon permit was lucky. That was kind of pre-trip. Um, but just getting a permit, always luck is involved with that and the fact that it worked out that we could do the rest of the trip and coordinate that to go there um, I think that was super fortunate um, probably probably the luckiest in terms of like historical significance we um, we had planned to go up to Cobook Valley and you fly into Kotzebue to do that the exact day that we decided to fly into Kotzebue was the day before President Obama was slated to give a speech there, first sitting president ever to go um, give a speech in the Arctic. And so we were in Kotzebue, which is this tiny town, you know, for like 3,000 people, and we're there and Air Force One is flying in. And so we got to see the presidential motorcade and hear his speech about the Arctic in this tiny little town as we're about to fly and visit the park. So I think that was just, and we had our, American flag onesies on. So we were wearing our onesies as the motorcade drives by. Um, and that was just, I mean, total, we couldn't have planned that. The other one, and I think you guys took this one too, is the Super Bloom in uh, Death Valley. I mean, it happens once every 10 years. And we happened to be there, you know, when it was happening. And I think you guys were there like maybe four or five days after us. Uh, yeah, yeah. So we just missed each other. Um, and we missed, while we were driving down, we actually missed the firefall in Yosemite. So it was huge the day before that we got there, and then the day we were there, it didn't come out. And so, you know, it's just, 
sometimes you get lucky and sometimes you don't. And the more time you spend in those places, the more likely you are to get beautiful things happening. So, yeah, I'd say the, the super bloom and, and the run-in with uh, President Obama and our onesies in Kotsuya were probably yeah. the biggest times. That's awesome. Uh, and to remind everybody, the firefall in Yosemite is when the sun is just at the right angle, I believe, to really light up. It's Yosemite Fall, right? Or... Uh, Horsetail Falls. It's Horsetail Falls Horsetail. Right, right next to the Dawn Wall on El Cap. And it, um, it only flows when I think there's a lot of water because it normally is a waterfall that doesn't flow. It only flows in like the early spring after a big snow year. Got it. I think I could have that wrong. So uh, let's get back, uh, change gears a little bit. What do you have a, a scariest moment? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the scary moments always in parks is animal encounters. I mean, well, the the bad weather in Katmai was scary, um, but the other ones are animal encounters. Um, and so we had a couple bear runnings. Um, I'll go with the least scary first. So I was trail running in Big Bend and ran into a mom and two black bear cubs. Luckily, it was super, super hot outside. And so the mom was just like exhausted and tired and the cubs were older. And so I think she was ready to just kick them out and like not deal with them anymore. So she was like super tired and kind of panting and just was like, oh, just leave me alone. Like I have these two teenagers and I just want them out of the house. So that one wasn't, I didn't feel unsafe. It's just, it's kind of scary to come around a corner and run into a couple bears. Um, we had another one in Teton where we ran into a mom and three cubs. And the only reason, it was right at dusk, which is not a good time to run into bears because you can't see that well. And I heard, um, like, claws going up a tree. I was like, what's that? Oh, my gosh. And I saw these three little furry things crawling up this tree. And then we were looking for the mom. We finally saw her. And just luckily she didn't think we were a threat and kind of talked to her really nicely so it was like hey mama bear like i see you you're fine like we don't want to hurt your cubs like go your own way it's okay so we talked to her a little bit and that ended up being fine and then the scariest one was when we were in um gates of the arctic we were hiking and there was a bunch of alders near us and it's you know like four or five feet up, like above your eye level and Turn, we were making noise, we were talking to each other, um, we were with another one of our friends, Lindsay, we came around a corner and there was a massive grizzly bear that was 15 feet away, and our friend Lindsay screamed and yelled like, bear, 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 and started running towards us. And we were like, Lindsay, like, don't run, don't run, like, that's bad. And she screamed and ran towards us, and the bear totally freaked out and ran in the opposite direction. Um, and so we had this, like, you know, we all grouped together in a little pack and in like 10 seconds we're like all right like make a lot of noise let's get out of here get back to the car luckily we were a mile from the car and so we just like stayed together hiked out and didn't see the bear again but it was just that you know adrenaline turns on and your heart rate goes from 60 to 180 in five seconds so those are I think, the, the big ones for sure geez i i think reading about your gates of the arctic encounter was the reason one of the biggest reasons why Elizabeth was um, 
she did not consider hiking into the park anymore because you guys you went up the side of the park because there's no roads and gates of the arctic so you went up you know on the one road dalton highway to get on the side of the park and hiked in and i was trying to convince elizabeth that that's you know the the cheapest option it's something we really should probably should need to consider and then when she read that she's like no way i already hate you know alaska and the thought of getting eaten by a bear enough um which was fair so yeah how was that in did you guys end up seeing any caribou that was one of the things i wish we would have done because also you could apply how did the flight go yeah we visited kobuk valley and gates of the arctic in the same combo bush flight and okay. unfortunately, it was just all in one day, so it was super abbreviated. And it was, we landed in Kotzebue, and yeah. the weather, we'd scheduled three days there to accommodate weather, but it just so happened the first day was perfect, so we took off immediately. We stopped in Kobuk Valley, you know, landed there for about 30 minutes, and then we got back, went to Gates of the Arctic after that, landed there, you know, for another short bit, and did not see any caribou caribou there. We didn't see caribou till Denali. Um, okay. But then we took the, the flight back, and I was... I was conflicted. I mean, we've written about this on the blog, just how I was super conflicted about, you know, because our whole goal was spend time in the parks and really get to experience them. And some of these, I mean, the Alaska parks don't have any roads. They're entirely wilderness sometimes. So that way of of experiencing it for us was um, just, it was different, but it was really cool to get the flyover view and see that, you know, huge, I mean, see a huge chunk from the air, a totally different perspective. Yeah. No, I agree with you. It's, it's like, I, I kind of feel like I cheated on those two. And so I just tell myself that it was a scouting trip for uh, later in life. (laughs) Although it made me, what you said about the flyover, it made me wish that I had the finances to fly over every park because you just get to see it in a totally different perspective and it's really really beautiful in its own regard and I just it would be cool to kind of have that ability to fly over every park and see how expansive it is um, and just kind of see the whole thing from the air yeah we only did one other well I guess besides the Alaska parks we did one other flyover in Olympic National Park oh wonderful and that was incredible. If somebody asks me, uh, and I have to absolutely pick, I say Olympic is my favorite. Uh, oh, really? So, yeah, your, da- your dad's a lucky man getting to be a, a ranger for Olympic. But it, it's so huge that the flyover really gives you an awesome perspective. And we were super fortunate that the we got kind of connected with the Tourism Bureau in Port Angeles, which is the oh, gateway no. city. Yeah, yeah, and they were sending up people anyway as kind of like a reward who volunteered for them in the flight, and they cool. said, "Why don't you tag along?" And just one of those uh, trail magic type things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's sweet. Did you have a? What was your? I mean, in addition to the flight, did you have like kind of a favorite part about Olympic? We did a short little backpack along the coast. 
and it was just so beautiful seeing the sea stacks there, walking along the sand, um, climbing up, you know, the the embankments and back down, and then watching the sunset behind the water, and then the tide goes out, you see the whole, you know, sun shimmering off the kind of coral and whatever that, you know, the rock and everything, Um, and you can walk through it and see all the little critters running around. Yeah, that was that was my favorite. Did was that at Shy Shy? So that was, oh, let's see, I, I don't remember Strawberry Point. Okay, okay. So close to there, I don't remember how far we went, but it was around Strawberry Point, and then there was a place with a T that we camped near. Oh, wonderful! Yeah, because I want to I want to do that whole coast because I think it's like 70 miles of coast that you can hike. You have to time the tides right and do all that. But right. that's just one of the places where I'm like, oh, I need to I need to go back there and do that again. So so much stuff we have we have to go back for. Yeah, yeah. So when we saw you in American Samoa, it was I think a pretty rough point for all of us, all four <laughs> of us uh, as far as hygiene. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> you guys got a photo of that. I remember. <laughs> yeah. So the um, you know when we were leaving, trying to fly out, I remember we were all hanging in a, in a McDonald's, and you were able to just take your you know real long hair at the this point <laughs> uh, and spike it straight up like a foot. Um, yep, yep. So I, uh, my next question is, what is the grossest moment for you? Oh on the trip um not necessarily hygiene could be anything you had to eat or whatever food stuff wasn't bad trevor and i were pretty much like we'll eat anything um probably okay so probably the grossest what what time of year were you guys in everglades that was november basically you know last week this a year ago yeah um so I made a grave, grave error in going to Everglades in June or July. And so it wasn't, I wouldn't say that it was like the grossest as in like, ew, but um, the number of mosquitoes was worse than Alaska and just so, like you couldn't even walk outside the car because there were so many mosquitoes. And so um, didn't want to go outside the car and like didn't set up a tent for that and I was going to sleep inside the car. It was so hot that I couldn't I couldn't even put a sheet or a blanket on. I just had to sleep like in my shorts. And I was just sweating profusely the entire night. And it was it was like that for like two or three nights in a row. And so I like to say it was like Danny DeVito running a marathon on the 4th of July. Um, it was just horrible, like horrible. And there's mosquitoes everywhere, and I'm, like, hitting myself because there's mosquitoes, and there's buzzing, and I'm sweating. And I woke up four or five times every night just covered in sweat, and there was no way. You couldn't, like, open a window because the mosquitoes would come in, and you couldn't cool it down at all. So it just, that was just probably the worst. Um, And I'm sure the mosquito carcasses and blood smears were everywhere. Oh, yes. On the car, on my body. And then you had, like... You had like you would like rub your shoulder and there would be like dried sweat and mosquito parts, and it it was just it was bad, it was bad. <laughs> so that was probably the grossest. 
I remember being really surprised uh, at how bold you all were going to Everglades in the middle of the summer. Yeah, that was a that was a grave, grave error. I regret that decision. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so maybe that's your most uh, regrettable moment. Yeah, too. mistakes were made. <laughs> um, okay, d- two more. Let's see. Yeah, yeah. What is your most delicious moment? Oh man, food wise. Yeah. Um, so we had Thanksgiving dinner in the Grand Canyon, which is like super memorable because we had like a turkey and stuffing and that, but I'm trying to think, um, we always, we did a meal that was, uh, macaroni and cheese. And then if we just gone to the grocery store, we'd put spinach into, and then we do Rotel, which is, um, green chilies and chopped up tomatoes and tuna. And that was just, I just loved the, that. Oh, actually, I'm going to take that back. Okay, the most delicious one was Spam Masubis in Hawaii. And so you take like a piece of Spam, grill it, and roll it up with sushi rice and um, seaweed and just eat it like a little cake. And those were awesome. Um, yeah, Spam Masubis. Nice. Sure, there was more. Oh well, I did have a lobster in Acadia, and that was like the last park. So I, I like had a nice lobster meal in Bar Harbor in Acadia on like the on the night of the centennial, so on August 25th. And so that was kind of like a, you know, all right, I'm gonna eat this super nice meal um, in Bar Harbor at my last park on the hundredth anniversary of the park service. So that was a that was another delicious meal. Awesome. What about what about you guys? Is there one that's? I mean, I'm assuming it's not going to be um, Golden Corral, but <laughs> yeah, we uh, we definitely indulged in the buffets frequently. Um, so when we were going into uh, when we were going down to Florida, we stopped by some relatives in Jacksonville, yeah, yeah. and stayed there for a night or two. And they made the most incredible uh, key lime pie. And it was fresh limes from their trees in the back because citrus fruits grow anywhere down there. And yeah. yeah, it was, we had two while we were there. The, the first, you know, each of the two nights we stayed. And then when we came back and stayed right before Christmas, heading, you know, back north, yeah. we had another one. So, nice. Yeah. Did you guys go to Robert is here outside Everglades? Oh yeah, that was awesome too. Yeah, the, the that, I'll remember that smoothie forever. Yep. Oh, then the other one, um, the okay, so there's two in American Samoa. The the coconuts that we had right off the tree. Oh yeah. And then, do you remember that hot? Like, what was that hot chocolate? The cocoa. Remember, it was like the cocoa beans that they like mashed up and put it with sugar in them. That was, I mean, I've been like trying to find, <laughs> can't find it, um, but I remember they would serve us that every night, and that was delicious. Yeah, that was incredible. Um, still, I, I think American Samoa is still just w- one of those m- moments that we point to in our trip as just, you know, unrivaled. It was like no other. Um, yeah. It just added so much flavor. I think because we were there as the the guests of this, 
you know, host family, and they really showed us around their home, which just happened to be the national park because it was in their backyard. Yeah. Well, I think the cultural part of it, there was, was unequaled anywhere, any other park that I went to. Um, I, I don't know. I got, I got that sense. You just couldn't compare with getting to learn the Samoan culture and interacting with the people who were just so nice and wonderful um, there. And, and it was fun getting to see you guys, too, because it was like, all right, there's some other crazy people like us out there. Like, we're not alone in this world. <laughs> yeah, that was a blast. Um, okay, last moment. What was your funniest or maybe wackiest moment of the trip? Because um, you guys did some crazy stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah. With all your your different onesies and you know re- posing for different pictures. Yeah, yeah. So I I can think of two. Um, I'll I'll give you one first, um, and I'll give you the second one. So the first one. When we were in um, uh, Hawaii volcanoes, remember those signs that said um, "Nene Crossing"? Oh yeah. For the so there's like the bird, the Nene, the Hawaiian bird. Um, they think it's a Canadian goose that got caught in a storm thousands of years ago, landed on the Hawaiian Islands, and has since lost its ability to fly, and is now the Hawaiian, the state bird of Hawaii. So we were there, and I saw the sign, and the only thing that I could think of was the song with the Nene. And so we made what I like to call a public service announcement about the Nene. And so we dressed up in our onesies with some friends and danced the whip and Nene in front of a Nene crossing sign. So that one was pretty funny. Um, the other one that was pretty funny, and this one's feel free to cut out if you want to, but we were, so we were in um, Mount Rainier and we were hiking the Wonderland Trail. And you have to hang your um, you have to hang your food up on a bear pole at night, and it's just like it's like eight foot long pole shaped like an L with like a one foot bend in it, and you put your backpack on it, and then you hang it up on this piece of rebar that's like ten feet up in the air. And so um, one of my buddies had come up to meet us there, and so we went camping for a night with him, and so we went to cook dinner. We cooked dinner, and he brought with him some Jim Beam. And so we cooked dinner, we sat down and drank some Jim Bean, and then we were just sitting around the campfire, like, shooting the shit and, like, hanging out, catching up, talking, and then it was completely dark outside and probably 40 degrees, and we realized, like, oh, we got to put our backpacks up to make sure that the bears don't come and get them. And so at this point, the little pole that you hold to put on your backpack was freezing cold. And so you'd, like, touch it with your hands and it's like, you know, like, oh my gosh, like, I can't hold this, it's so cold. And then you had, to, you had to hoist the backpack into the air, and this is the first night of the trip, so our backpacks with our food were really heavy. So you had to hoist it in the air, so we all had our headlamps on, pointed up at the rebar to see if you could, like, get it up there. And we'd also each had, like, a couple of drinks, and so we were not at our finest, like, athletic capability of, like, fine motor skills to control the backpack to put it up on the rebar. So you... You could only hold it for a couple seconds before your hands got super cold, and then you couldn't see. And then we just all were like dying laughing that we were incapable of doing this like very simple task. That had we just done it an hour early when it was light outside, it would have been completely fine. Um, but it was just one of those moments where you're, you know, you're hanging out with friends, you have a full belly, and you know, had a drink or two, and it just you're just having a good time, and 
it's you're just laughing at yourself. And so that was that was one of the funnier kind of memories from the whole trip. Yeah, that's awesome. So. Well, that's a that's a good note, I think, to to wrap up on. Um, I yeah, I just love hearing about other people's trips. I love hearing about you know how they approach the parks because and and think about the parks because in so many ways it's the same as us and then in so many ways as far as their trip goes it's different so yeah i loved uh having you share with our listeners about that um so i guess my final question is is what are you up to now and yeah you said you're in charlottesville got a new place yep um yeah so i i moved to charlottesville two weeks ago and um, I'm working at the University of Virginia. Um, I took a job working at our public policy school in admissions. Um, and then I'm also toying around with um, looking at seeing how to take uh, VR video, like virtual reality video, um, and bring park-like experiences to others. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to toy around with that. And I, I kind of got the idea, I one of my friend who's a fourth grade teacher in town asked me to come show some pictures to his class. And so I showed them some pictures and showed them some videos and the kids were just like super amped up about it. And I was like, I need to find a way to get like VR headsets, go do some hikes, do like Angels Landing in Utah, and then bring that back to a classroom and take some students on a virtual hike. And so I'm, I'm trying to partner with some classrooms and see if I can... Um, go shoot some of that video and bring that to them. So that's kind of what I'm toying around with now. I, I kind of needed to, to get a job to pay for video cameras and equipment and things like that. So landed back where I went to college and uh, hopefully do that for a little while and see what that turns out with in terms of uh, making some videos to bring parks to others. So That's amazing. It's, I mean, just us doing this podcast, you know, is kind of our way of, of not letting go of the parks, you know, and, you know, it sounds, you know, just like you, the, the, being a, you know, a park lover is just something that you'll be for life, I know, so. um, Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. And that's incredible that you're looking to spread the message to the next generation, because that's, what we got to do that's the big you know that's the big challenge if our parks are going to live on forever yeah no i agree and i that's why i I love that you guys are doing this podcast and sharing it with everybody to bring the parks because i think that's just you know that's the most important thing if if we just keep it to ourselves and don't share it with others then we're going to lose it and um so i'm super excited to see what you guys do with it and see where it goes and help out as i can so um you always got a fan over here and just love that you guys are Love that you guys are still doing it. Likewise. Thanks, man. Yeah. Um, so if people want to learn, you know, hear more about your crazy stories, read up on the parks a little bit, where can they find you, maybe find your blog? Yeah, so it's just 59in59.com. Uh, so the numbers, 59in59.com. Um, so that's where they can read it. It's still, still be up. It's, I, I bought the year-long thing last April, so it'll be up there until at least April, and then you know, I'll probably renew it again. So we'll, we'll see, but 59and59.com. Awesome. Well, Darius, this was 
so cool. Loved hearing about all your stories. And thanks again. Yeah, thank you, Cole. Great to talk to you. Great to catch up. And uh, thank you. Catch you later. Hey, have a good one. Thanks for listening today. We'll be back for the next five weeks or so with chapter three of our podcast, which covers the topic of seeking solitude. If you enjoyed the podcast, we'd love for you to share us with a friend, give us a rating on iTunes, find us and find Darius and Trevor on Facebook and Instagram, etc. And you can always get more National Parks videos, posts, guides on our blog at switchbackkids.com. Switchbacks out. <laughs>